Chef David Chang and the members of the Recipe Club sift through millions of search results to find the very best way to make the food you want to eat. Each week, they cook three recipes for the same dish, debate them, and ultimately declare the winning recipe. Check out Recipe Club on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's The Mismatch, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Friday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Killian, Kevin O'Croissant, Kevin Verno, How you feeling this Friday morning after uh, Tom Brady and the Bucks ripped your heart out week one? I actually didn't have my heart ripped out. Okay. Um, you know, I had, I had read everything all day about, you know, there was not one person on earth that picked the Cowboys to win that game and most expected them to get drubbed. Um, when you got your starting quarterback who's been out for 10 months and did not play in the preseason, come out and look amazing. Uh, you know, you missed field goals. They they got turnovers, uh, but and didn't capitalize on them all. Uh, and you know, you 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 did enough to win for the majority of the game. And then with a minute and a half left, you give the ball back to Tom Brady and you get done in. I, I don't know. That's not one of those things. It's kind of like uh, when you get, when you get beat by the best of the best, um, I don't feel like it is nearly <laughs> as hard to deal with. Um, it's not like he hasn't been doing that to people for 20 years and I've watched it and I'm not a, I don't hate Tom Brady. And yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't all that devastating uh, to me. It's not like I expected them to go in and win week one. That wasn't one of the ones I had chalked up as a win <laughs> this year, right? And they looked better than I thought they would. I think if you're a Cowboys fan, which you are, you're yeah. going to be coming out of that feeling really good about how Dak Prescott looked. He, he looked like the Dak Prescott from early last season when he was one of the leading MVP candidates. And the Bucks, like you said, I mean, that, that's the one thing like this is a close game because of missed field goals, you know, missed extra point for Dallas, but also four turnovers with Tampa Bay. 
That's, yeah. like, that's not going to happen very often and still coming out with the winner. If you're a Bucks fan or a Brady fan <laughs> like myself, um, you, you got to be feeling good about this team returning all 22 starters uh, and probably be being even better this season, assuming good health. They're nasty. Yeah, for sure. They're they're going to be an outstanding team uh, throughout this year. Now, they do have a quarterback that's 44 years old. So, you know, at 17 games, I know he's... He's a medical marvel. As he, he, as a- <laughs> he, he's he's something else, man. I I was watching the game at a restaurant with my friends. I saw they had like a intro video narrated by Brian Cranston. I haven't been able to watch it yet, but um, I, I look forward to. I've watched it. I didn't hear it. Uh, I look forward to uh, watching that whole thing today. I'm excited, dude. Tom Brady, 44 years old. I I couldn't help but just think about it uh, sitting there with my buddies watching the game. Just. I was 11 years, 11 years old, 11 years old, Chris, when Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl. I'm 31 now. How crazy is that? That's nuts. It's crazy. 300th career start, a regular season start. My goodness. And he's nowhere near, he's nowhere near done, Chris. This is what I loved, honestly. (laughs) And I don't want to, and I don't want to, and I don't want to sound mean here, but I knew very well, because I listened to all kinds of different uh, NFL podcasts too. Everybody, and I read these articles, everybody in the free world, that line was sitting at right around like eight and a half. And everybody in the free world had the same bet, which was tease that down six points to get it to two and a half, right? And the books knew that. And then it ends up popping up to like nine and a half, right? And I just knew this is the game. This is how they have all those hotels, those lights, those performers. Everybody, the easiest bet in the world is going to be bucks. Minus two and a half. And to see all of those <laughs> teasers ruined last <laughs> night, I mean, it did. That, that gave me real joy in loss. You know what I mean? To know that that many people bet <laughs> minus two and a half <laughs> and then for it to land on two, that's what they get. That's what they get. And speaking about gambling, next Monday, you're that's on right. the Ringer Gambling Show with Warren Sharp every Monday, right? Yeah. Let's go ahead and, and mention this, too. I will be on with Warren uh, starting on Monday. We'll do all kinds of recaps of everything that took place on Sunday and get ready for Monday Night Football. Um, and we are off next week. So the mismatch is going to be off on yep. Tuesday and Friday, and then we'll restart the week after that. We're going to be right around the corner from training camp when we start back. But, yeah, for all of you out there that are big NFL fans or gambling fans, uh, for sure, uh, tune in on Monday as we're going to be launching that uh Gambling show with uh, with Warren Sharp and myself, and then he'll be on uh, two other times throughout the week. And with so ben uh, on whole Wednesdays new feed. and then yeah. house on Fridays, right? Yep, for sure. Uh, we're going to get to the mailbag here in a second. But before we get to that, um, it feels like the man of the summer in the NBA is Ben Simmons for various reasons, um, not the least of which are news items that come out about possible trades and then him being uh, it all being a source of discontent. And now he talks about not showing up for training camp. And so ESPN kind of outlined the situation, how everybody got to where they are. Uh, What do you make of it this week? And I know we got mailbag questions about this too, but what do you make of it this week and the whole are we going to be on training camp watch to see if his car pulls up? <laughs> so uh, ESPN's Tim Montemps and Bobby Marks reported that uh, in August, 
uh, Josh Harris, Daryl Morey, um, others from the Sixers went to L.A. to meet with Ben Simmons and Rich Paul and Clutch uh, to tell him, you know, we can't find a deal. Uh, we want to move forward with you. We want we want to try to try to, you know, work this out during the season. And that's when it was made clear that he asked to be traded. Um, and, you know, then there was some other information in there from Bobby Marks about how like it would work if Ben Simmons does indeed hold out and he's getting fined by the Sixers and it got into all that. So, I mean, it did add some new information. Um, I know John Krasinski also said earlier this week, or maybe I think it was earlier this week, um, he believes the, the Timberwolves are in a better position today for Ben Simmons than they were, you know, some time ago. Um, but in many ways, Chris, I don't know if this really changes the conversation for us with the way we've talked about stuff. I, like, I, I think things remain unchanged in that sense. The Sixers will take this as far as they can until it reaches a breaking point. It's interesting because the, the NBA does have a little bit of a problem with the fact that this is happening with stars more often um, recently. That we had Jimmy Butler screaming at his GM, you can't effing win without me and whatever. <laughs> and then, you know, they, they lose at the beginning of the season and that comes to a head and Jimmy Butler ends up in Miami. And then you have James Harden who doesn't show up to camp and then shows up out of shape and then they're not giving maximum effort. And it's like, okay, we've got to, we got to move on from this. We've got to move this guy somewhere else. And now you have a Ben Simmons situation where it's like, all right, we'll find you or the NBA may step in if he doesn't show up to training camp. Cause they certainly don't want this to be a precedent. Um, and yet, you know, you feel like he's going to end up getting his way. I mean, his is a little different because he's, he's in the middle of a contract. He's got four years left on that contract. Right. And so it's like, does uh, I, I can I can sense that they probably do not want this to be the mode of operation for the player that doesn't like their situation at the time, uh, because you do sign these massive contracts. And then because what's happening now is you get the bag and then you ask out. Right. That's how this works. And I don't know, like you, you don't want guys not showing up to training camp. You don't want guys, uh, you know, star players in the league saying, I don't want to be here. And then I don't know the way Ben would play it out, but you know, these last few, it's not like you're going to go out there and give it your all and try to win Every single game. I mean, we went through this with Anthony Davis, right? Where that whole last part of that Pelicans uh, season. And I don't know what the answer is as to how to deal with it. But I do know that the NBA doesn't want stars just not showing up until they get their way. You know? Yeah, I mean, player empowerment is, you know, it's or, a great or tanking it, it's, it really, honestly, like, sure. you know what I mean? Sabotaging something. That's the problem is like, you'd like for guys to just say, hey, do right by me. I'll play my ass off, but do right by me. Keep looking for a deal. But that I don't think is what people necessarily expect, that it can be healthy 
and it just be a business. Hey, you get me where I want to get. This isn't the best for either of us. It becomes public. It becomes messy. And the player becomes disenchanted and it Fs up teams. Sure. I mean, like player empowerment is a great thing in some ways in the sense that, you know, players feel like they have the ability to go where they want to go and uh, they should be. I mean, like they're drafted into the NBA and they sign a four year contract and then teams have the rights to match another four year deal potentially. Um, so teams have the inherent advantage from the second players into the NBA. It helps balance things out. The negative is the fact that player empowerment really only applies to the top, you know, one to five percent of players in the NBA, the top 10 to 25 to 30 guys are the only players that really have any leverage to move anywhere they want to go. And that directly affects the teams. It affects other players that are also moved and whatnot. Um, so in this sense, like with Ben Simmons, um, they're just trying to use as much leverage as they have with that, with despite having four years left in the contract, which hurts where they can direct where he goes. Uh, like they, they can't say we want to go to just this one team. We just want to go to the warriors. We just want to go to, you know, wherever, any team could get in on the Ben Simmons, you know, bidding war. Not that it is much of a bidding war right now, uh, but any team could get in this because he has four years left. I, I don't know. Like, like I said, I feel like we've said everything there is to say about Ben Simmons in recent weeks. Um, I just look forward to seeing how this plays out because I, I still believe the Sixers would prefer to wait. But with that said, though, Chris, the other thing that happened this week is you have Damian Lillard making an Instagram post uh, with him walking through the crowd in Portland. And he says back for more hashtag rip city is my city. This is the first time Damian Lillard has said anything like that. Uh, when just a couple of weeks ago, he's like, um, you know, PDX uh, here for now or whatever it was that he said. So he said back for more rip city is my city. Um, that was just a couple days ago on Instagram. So like I said, I've said it many times. People say Daryl Moore is waiting for Damian Lillard at first and then maybe Bradley Beal. Damian Lillard, like even if he becomes available, you might not have the best offer. You just might not have the best offer. And with Bradley Beal, same thing. Same well, thing there. So for the Sixers, and, and, it, it, it might make sense to take a deal now. It could. It well, could. Because look how this backfires, Kevin. If, if it does backfire. You're the one left with the unhappy guy. Damian Lillard becomes content. Brad Beal becomes content, and your guy's pissed off. How <laughs> what? Well, and that could right. You know, that could lower your like Philly's leverage too, because if they don't have like the Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal carrots hanging out there, you know, as like we have this potential if we wait. If you don't have that. Then suddenly it's like, oh, what's your alternative? It's like James Wiseman and a couple picks from Golden State. Like that's your alternative. We're not we're not going to give you, uh, you know, this additional pick if you're Minnesota. Suddenly that offer could get worse. So the Philly and Daryl Morey have to be very careful here. They do. They have to be very careful because there's no guarantees Dame or Beal or any star becomes available this season. This could end up being a dud year in terms of star movement. Um, but I'm still intrigued by the Simmons McCollum thing as well. I think that that's a, a path that makes some sense for both teams, especially for Portland. Um, but we'll maybe see Damian Lillard out. knows that it's on the horizon. Maybe it's possible. He did like a post on Twitter as well of Simmons photoshopped into a Blazers jersey. Mm. That was a couple of weeks ago. So maybe he knows he might know something. Maybe that's why he is putting out there. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Exactly. I love PDF. And you know the way this You're works, right. Kevin. We're off next week. We spent the whole damn summer talking about this guy. 
and it'll happen next week. If a trade happens next week, if, if a trade happens next week, are we doing a show? Are we going to hop on our emergency I, phone? I, I think we're going to at least have to get on the phone with each other and yeah, record yeah. something. <laughs> it's ridiculous. You know that's the way it's going to play, I right? I know. Yeah, we might have to do an emergency pod. Crazy. <laughs> Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. All right. Producer Sasha has rallied together the mailbag questions. Uh, a million, as always, uh, to go through. But we've tried to sift through a lot of the good ones uh, that we wanted to try to answer today on this mailbag episode. So, Producer Sasha, what do we got? First, we have from Robert. Hello, Robert. With the Rock. Hmm? I said hello, Robert. Oh, hey, he's, Robert. He, he's not on the he's not on the phone, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> With the Rockets keeping their pick and drafting Jalen Green, they probably would have been worse off if they took the Philly package with Ben Simmons. Does almost everyone in the NBA media owe Rafael Stone an apology? Even before we know the actual value of the Nets picks, were the Rockets right to take? The Nets package. Yes. You owe Stone an apology, Chris. What? No. No? No. No. What? So, what, so what you still I... believe so you still believe they should have taken Ben Simmons over all the picks and being a worse team, which positioned them. That was my perspective. It's like you want to be bad this year, so you have a better chance at Cade or Jalen Green or some of these top guys. Well, what's to say they wouldn't have been bad anyway? And also, I don't necessarily That's fair. I, I don't necessarily believe in the whole, you have to tank it out. If I've got Ben Simmons, Christian Wood doesn't get injured. Like that team was not horrible at the very beginning of the year. In fact, we kind of, I mean, they wouldn't have been bad. They wouldn't yeah. have been. No. And I think you're a lot. Look, my opinion is always, you're a lot closer to being good. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you've got good players. And so if you could have gotten an all NBA caliber player in return, that's that's foolhardy. That, I don't I don't I don't like when people do that. They say, "Well, we wouldn't have gotten Jalen Green if we didn't." Well, like number one, what is maybe Jalen Green will make all NBA teams? Maybe he will. I mean, there's only six guards that do. I know Ben Simmons has. You know what I'm saying? And so and the other thing is. Like, you don't know the way everything's going to play out. That number two pick, that wasn't in the trade. That's not part of the trade. You can't make that the trade. You can't say, oh, well, because we made this stupid trade, we sucked. <laughs> and so, therefore, <laughs> the number two pick is part of the trade. No, it wasn't. If the number two pick was in the trade, then we could evaluate Jalen Green yeah, as part of the see, trade. See, I, no, I, I, dis I disagree there, Chris, because I think I think it does have to be like everything is part of the trade. Like everything is your entire organization and the decisions you make and how it affects you. Like all of it's part of the trade. And and, and like like I I don't remember exactly what I said at the time of the trade. I'd love to play the play it play it back, but I believe my perspective was for a lot of these teams, it can pay to suck this year. 
because of the increased probability of getting Cade or Mobley or some of these top players. And for Houston. Okay. So what if they wouldn't have gotten lucky? What if they wouldn't have gotten the number two pick? They might not have. I mean, like, and they ended up doing, we're on a, we're on a timeline here in in a universe that exists where they did get lucky and they ended up with the number two pick. Uh, Maybe like in in a different situation, those lottery balls bounce a different way and they end up with number four or number five or number six. So then is it a good trade? I mean, then we're talking about it much differently, but ultimately with the way things worked out, I'm, I'm happy with the decision Houston made. Like in hindsight, looking back with the way things have worked out, I'd be happy with the way things had worked for them. Because if you do get Ben Simmons, you have Christian Wood and John Wall and all these guys on this team, that wouldn't be a playoff roster. It'd be more like, you know, the eighth, ninth or 10th pick. So for Houston, maybe no, maybe NBA media doesn't need to apologize, you know, because everybody has perspectives at the time of trades that happen and things change. Things evolve very quickly and it's very easy to be wrong. It's very easy to be right with this stuff. You just don't know a lot of the time with how, with how stuff will pan out. You and don't this know. is what this is what GMs do. They make trades that you can't evaluate for 10 years so that they could try to keep their jobs. But I mean, there were good players that were involved in that trade that they didn't get. You know, I mean, they they moved off Karis Levert. And they, that's where some Jared, of the mistakes might have happened. Getting a little depot instead of Levert or Allen. Jared Allen could have been a player there. You know what I mean? Yep. Some mistakes were made. Like you got. So that's why I say like you got pick swaps. And what what else did you get? What else did you get for yeah, James Harden? Yeah. That's you what the mistakes some, were. You got you got three first round picks. And four first-round pick swaps. Okay, cool. So now I got to evaluate that after the end of the 2027 draft. See what you ended up with. You didn't get anything. Victor Oladipo? You didn't even have it for the season. Like, I just, no. No. He doesn't deserve, he doesn't deserve an apology. He should apologize to me. Apologize to me for that crap trade. That's what should happen. Me apologize. All right, what's next? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, good day, guys. My name's Ben, and I'm from New Zealand. My question is, how do you think Stephen Adams is going to help Memphis now? And do you think he will ever get back to his best days, 2016 playoffs, being a roller off his screens? His best days were playing next to Westbrook, and I see the same qualities in Morant that can bring the best out of Adams. What are your thoughts? I actually saw him yesterday. Steve Adams. Yeah, really? yeah, yeah. He was in Memphis, yeah. Um, he, uh, the most shocking thing, let me just go ahead and say, the most shocking thing you are going to hear going into the weekend, okay? For everybody out there that's listening to this, you are never going to be more, in fact, in fact, be careful, don't drive off the road. Steven Adams is 28 years old. <laughs> it does blow my mind, Chris. I mean, he's still that, that young. Yeah. Unbelievable. I I see the guy and I can't fathom that he's 28 years old. It's crazy to think about. Um I do think that he can I do think he can help. I do think he can be a defensive quarterback, which is why the Grizzlies wanted to attain him in the first place, right? As a defensive a quarterbacker. Yeah, oh, and I also <laughs> think he is a good, possibly ideal fit with Jaron Jackson Jr. 
which is what they need. They're about the, the, to sign the the, bru- the bruiser in Adams yeah. and, and the perimeter, you know, wingish big in yeah. Jackson. Who I think you'll see signed within the next like week or so, probably. Like he'll get his extension too, like some of these other guys have. Maybe Michael Porter Jr. at Denver, some others. You're gonna start to see those before training camp. Um, but yeah, I do think he could be a very good fit. And offensively, look. He's a guy that he's he's putback guy. He is finish pick and roll guys at the rim, and he is offensive rebounding, throwing it back out guy. And yes, all of those can be extremely useful when you have a super dynamic point guard. He is one of those we talk about. You know, there's stars and there's role players. You know, Valanciunas, who I love. Valanciunas is not a role player though. He's not just, uh, you know, he is a offensive weapon who you run plays for and you get the ball to and really affects things. Um, Steven Adams is more a I'll clean stuff up and I'm going to keep the ball moving type of guy, which when you have Jaron Jackson in the lineup, um, assuming he turns into what people thought he was going to turn into, I think it could be a very, very good fit and and could help Adams dramatically too. Yeah, and I mean, I think this sort of this question makes me think about um, two things: a how a player's salary impacts the way we talk about them. You know, if Stephen Adams were a league minimum or like five million dollar player, I don't think people would be saying like, "Oh, Stephen Adams sucks. He fell off." Uh, I think the conversation would be much different. Um, but also, just how. In recent years, we've seen some older players, whether it's Vince Carter or whether it's Dwight Howard or Carmelo Anthony, um, we've seen them at some point either fall off and go into different types of roles or even just be totally doubted and say they're done. They should be out of the league. They're washed up and then still manage to find a new role like Melo did, like Dwight Howard did. And with Steven Adams, he's still getting paid a heck of a lot of money. You know, he's not necessarily, quote unquote, worth that. But in this new situation, having more of a downhill pick and roll presence, um, like was asked about by Ben, that could help Steven Adams and restore some of his value and his importance to the game. Um, whereas last season, it just wasn't a situation for him in New Orleans that made a lot of sense from the start. So I, I think like, he's just going to be another example of a player where maybe they're not quite at their prime levels. Maybe they're not quite worth their current salary. But this is an opportunity for him to show it. By the way, like you said, Chris, only 28 That's years old. That's what I mentioned. That's what I mentioned. It's not <laughs> 28, like... 28 to show that he still has some time left in the NBA. Yeah. But with that said, though, he is an old 28. He's had a lot of injuries throughout his career. He's played through a lot of pain, a lot of, lot of injuries throughout his entire career. So he is a old 28. Um, but ultimately, though, he's still only 28 at the end of the day. And even if he's not like a, a 30 minute per game guy anymore, maybe he turns into like a big time energy no. guy in a 15 to 22 minute per game role. Well, and the other thing is he becomes intensely useful when you have to play in a league where there are the Embiid's and the Jokic's and Did you see some, Jokic? some nights, some Did of these big, he looks no. leaner. Oh, really? He, he looks leaner, leaner than ever. Oh, Seriously. Wow. The Denver uh-huh. Nuggets uh, Twitter account posted a, a video of him the other day. He looks leaner than ever before, and he's got some facial hair now. He's, he's letting oh, it go. Oh, boy. Looking like a, a mean Jokic coming back for a back-to-back MVP. He looks lean, for real. Not as lean. I played NBA 2K22 yesterday. Oh. And I, play, I played an online game. Um, and someone played as the Nuggets against me. And I'm like, why does Jokic look thinner than LaMarcus Aldridge? I was playing as the Nets. I played as a couple of the better teams in the league. Because everybody else, like, well, if you pick a bad team in the yeah, 2K, yeah. you're gonna, you know, you gotta play as a good team. And like Aldridge is way bigger than Jokic. 
in the game. It's like, which didn't seem right. Hmm. Like they, they gotta, they gotta make Jokic a little bigger in the game unless, unless Chris, they have the new weight and measurements in there. Cause he did look lean in real life. No filter, huh? No filter. As far mm-hmm. as I know. So mm-hmm. hard, hard to know these days. These uh, Instagram, TikTok you ne- filters you never know. Are, are pretty good. <laughs> you never know. All right. What's next? Oh, someone from St. Louis. Uh, Andrew. <laughs> I'm a big NBA draft nut and I use the ringer draft guide when doing my own scouting for hobby. So I'd love to hear more about KOC's process when evaluating a draft class. What are some of your favorite aspects of scouting these young players? What are some of the biggest challenges? I'm sure Chris is also welcome to answer. Nah, I don't want to answer that. Nah, of, course, of course, Chris, you, you do your guys who won't suck list every year. I watch which, YouTube. Think, which, which is, yeah, you watch YouTube, but you also talk yeah. to people from around the league and get yeah, feedback. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think all of that is important. Taking in feedback from, you know, outside of your own brain is critical, but also not letting that taint or affect the way you're thinking. But I think for me, I've just always loved the draft. I loved the NFL draft when I was, you know, 12 years old. I loved the NFL draft before I loved the NBA draft. Um, I just, I just like watching players get better um, and change their games and evolve who they are. So like, with, like Joel Embiid, his year at Kansas um, years back, he comes in super raw and by the end of the season, you, season you're seeing him doing like the Hakeem dream shake. You're seeing him have a better feel for scoring and defending. And like, I just love seeing that progress um, from players turning into, you know, the stars that we end up loving or, or the role players who make a big impact on the playoffs. It's just rewarding to see that growth and that progress. So, I mean, it, it really stems from that. Um, I, I think the challenge is like in terms of like doing the draft guide, the challenge is like also just covering the NBA full time. Um, like, uh, like doing the draft and doing re- NBA, that can be tough. Um, cause like, I think like the best people who cover the draft, Mike Schmitz, I think he's the best, um, Mike Schmitz, like travels the world. Um, and like, he meets these players when they're 14, 15 years old and you know, like what they, what he does, um, uh, what Cavoni does, those guys are in it like 365 days a year. Um, it is what they do. Like those guys are Schmitz. Schmitz did some coaching recently. I saw him post on Instagram. Actually, Schmitz could be a GM someday. He could it be a GM. Be, it I, wouldn't I, be surprising. I was, you know, I think he could be. But but like I would say, I mean, that's the biggest challenge for me. But I mean, it's rewarding. I love doing it. I don't. I'm not afraid of being wrong. Um, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to put my opinion out there, regardless of what it is, if it goes against the grain. And I know there are people sometimes who will say, "Oh, trying to be different with draft rankings." It's like no, because that's the rea- that's the reality. You know it, Chris. When you talk to people, everybody within organizations has different opinions, and if you don't, that's a problem. I think you're going to agree with this. Um, the last, and, and this has really been more prevalent that this is true of the world at large. And so it becomes true, obviously in basketball too, and Uh, group news and everything. And that is the, how much more difficult it is to sift through BS. Oh yeah. It is so much harder now than it was even three or four years ago. And that is not, that, that is, you know, on the internet, that is the news. That is also basketball. I yeah, will tell a, you it, that the two problem. players, the two players that have gotten trashed the most to me, like uh, the most negative things said to me in the last two years were probably Lamelo and Kaminga. And Lamelo's unbelievable, and Kaminga looked awesome <laughs> so far. So you tell me, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, that stuff does have an effect. I mean, I'm saying in the basketball world, people start 
talking and then it just gets repeated and it gets repeated and it gets repeated. And it's like, here's a red flag on this guy. Here's a red flag on this guy. And it's like, it's much harder to delineate what's true and what's not, unless you are the Mike Schmitzes of the world who have been around the kids and know the kids and know the families and know the coaches. Even even then you can still get it wrong. You can. Even then you can still get it wrong. It's so hard. There's just so many variables that go into the success and the failure of young players, you know, entering college and younger players entering the NBA. There's just so many variables that go into it. It, It's hard. It's impossible to predict everything. You can't. And people change too. People evolve. People start passing around information about these prospects that you, that you don't know very well. And so then that's what, what you hear about them is your, your, your frame of reference is very small, right? So if somebody said, Hey, I heard that kid's a dirt bag. Well, I don't know the kid. I've never been around the kid, right? Why are people saying this? Right. And then it just, but then it might just be because they heard it from somebody and then it gets repeated to somebody and then it gets passed on to somebody else. And it's like sifting through all that kind of crap is much more difficult now than it was four or five years ago. Because uh, yeah. just yeah. like everything else, the passing of information is truth becomes just a way of life, even if it's not true, you know? <laughs> It's like you see things go viral all the time, and then you find out, like, oh, that's not true. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> saw saw that recently with like the uh, the hospitals in Oklahoma. Like, yeah, right. One of the, uh, the ivermectin patients, even though it wasn't true at all. It was embarrassing. It, 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 yeah, it was everywhere. Know, it's embarrassing. Yeah, and you know, it's it's <laughs> and like all of this, you know, like in politics and in sports too. But like that creates a a, a mistrust uh, with all the misinformation. That's out yes, there right. um, through media, and like that happens behind the scenes too. Like it's just it's, it's hard. It's hard to know. That's um, right. It's hard to know with what's trustworthy and what's not. It's like I remember. I remember being a little kid growing. I grew up on the internet, Chris. So like my experience growing up was different from yours in that sense. Um, I got. I first got a computer like eleven years old, I think, and I used to be online and, and think to myself like, wow. Someday when internet culture is mainstream, <laughs> people are going to be able to have disagreements with each other like I do online with people. We'll debate and then just go back to being civil. When internet culture is mainstream someday, we're, everybody's going to be united. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How naive was I, huh? Wow. How, when internet culture went mainstream, which it has, we have become more divided than ever. With, than ever before. And uh, I mean, that divide will only uh, increase further and further in the years to come, which is a real shame. I mean, we should, we should, I mean, it's a real shame, but um, yeah, I don't know how we got into this part of it, but yeah, it does. It does relate to basketball in the sense. It does. It's just harder, harder to sift through information in everything. And it doesn't matter as much as basketball in basketball as it does in in other stuff. Um, But uh, you put anything out there, people believe it. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. They'll help you protect your home and what's inside of it at the high standard their members have grown to expect. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. And you can do it all right in the USAA app. And they offer many discounts to help their members save. That could put your wallet at ease, too. 
Visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more. Eligibility restrictions apply. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates. San Antonio, Texas. Spring is here, and you can now get almost anything you need for your sunny days delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a well-groomed lawn delivered, but you can get a chicken parmesan delivered. A cabana? That's a no. But a banana? That's a yes. A nice tan? Sorry. Nope. But a box fan? Happily, yes. A day of sunshine? No. A box of fine wines? Yes. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol in select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. All right, Sasha. Another person from St. Louis, Jake. Uh, what is something that you guys have learned from each other over the years? Uh, well, this is, I mean, this is hard because it's like, I don't, I don't want to get sappy here. But the first thing that stood out to me was honestly like that whole, you and I have very similar relationships with uh, our fathers, right? And when you went through that, because because of everything that's like gone on with my dad and his health and whatever, there was a time in my life where I probably blamed him for some of the things, like not wanting to get better not putting in the you know what I mean like I and I just I had this resent of why doesn't my son get the same dad I have you know I mean, my father's in a wheelchair right you know what I mean and I think that I think that probably just you know being around you and talking to you on the phone and going through that entire thing it probably changed my perspective greatly in the sense of you know uh, time is too short. Everybody's got their own things. And like, you've got to, um, you got to value each day because I, I found myself, you know, and, and listening to you and you talking about, you know, I, 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 I watched this game last night and me and my dad used to watch these games and whatever. And I, I think all of that stuff, I think there's, I think it probably just changed my perspective on, you know, valuing, the time you have regardless of anything else. You know what I mean? Because there's going to come a day where I don't have him and it's going to ruin me for an amount of time. And I think about it, right? Because, I mean, it's not like he's in great health. And, of course, we've had this whole coronavirus thing and everything else. But I think it's just the, you know, the the valuing of that time. Um, You know, I got to call him last night. You know, at halftime, I got to call him, uh, you know, during the game because we had we had to stay at home last night because uh, it was a late game and my son had school. So we didn't get to go over to his house for the game. But obviously we'll be there next Sunday and we see him often. And I and he lives down the street from me. But I think I, I think that's probably what I learned from you. I think that just the way you handled all of that and then, you know, going through somebody up here that lost a, a parent, you know, somebody that I'm as close with you as and the way you talked about it on the air and your honesty about it all. And, uh, you know, I remember that article you wrote about him. I don't know. I think it, it, it certainly had an effect on me and the way I value the time that I have, because I watched a friend wish he had Mm. that time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, definitely. yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, like I, I've I've handled it, I've handled it better than I could have imagined that I would handle it. You know, I'm sure. happy, like I'm doing okay. Yeah, had a conversation with one of my friends recently who lost their father uh, this summer as well, and 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 um, like he said, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm doing like that's the way I feel. I'm doing okay, but um, I mean, I, th- I was thinking about this uh, this week because like this is like the anniversary, you know, the 20th anniversary of 9/11 coming up, um, and I think I look back at that. Like just the way I've I've approached my relationships with people, um, and I, I think like nine eleven was formative for me because I was eleven years old at the time. This is around when my grandpa was having some major health problems, very close with my grandpa. He had like a, a five way bypass, and like a year before I was born, he had an aneurysm, like an inch from his heart, that they were fortunate to catch. Like if they waited a day, he probably would have died, and I never would have known him. And so I always grew up with this perception of like, like this understanding of like, I'm lucky to have my grandpa in my life. He gets through all these surgeries. I'm lucky to still have him in my life. And then 9-11 happens. And I'm like a little kid finding out about it from my mom in the car ride home after school, after a weird day at school. They never told us at school that it happened. Um, but like things were weird. People left. A lot of kids in class left. And I just remember thinking to myself, like, I'm lucky to have my parents. Like all these parents went to work and. Some of them didn't come home. And I, I grew up, I grew up like, it's kind of like a, it's like a sad thing in a way, but I grew up sometimes if my parents would leave the house thinking to myself, that could be the last time I see them. And that's not like, I never growing up, I never looked at that as like a bad thing. It didn't make me sad. I, I would say like, I just grew up never burying my fears. I, I kind of grew up embracing them. I embraced the possibility of death, which is kind of what allowed me to fully experience having the people in my life. And so like, you know, like when it comes to like not taking things for granted, trying to make the most of each day, like that's hard. Every Everybody has days where they just, you know, they ignore, you know, or they get annoyed with people. They ignore, you know, their loved ones and whatever that happens. It's only natural. But for the most part, I, I think I've always, you know, embraced those moments and, you know, in the article I wrote about my dad, like he said, uh, I like just I always I always like going to Celtics games and always watching the Patriots and watching sports in general. Um, always just embrace those moments and realize how fortunate I I was to have those, which in some ways has made it a little bit. Um, I don't know if easier is the right word, um, but a little bit easier to continue moving forward. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know that that's that that's uh, that means a lot to hear that, Chris. I, I think. Um, I think with you, like the main thing I've learned over the years is, is like largely just about just truly being yourself. Like you're, 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 you, you know, that that's your, you, you were you in your show in Memphis for years. You're you on this show unapologetically yourself, right? Love me, love me or hate me. You're just yourself. And uh, I think, um, in that sense, like that allowed me to loosen up and just be me and not worry about, you know, this or that, um, and how things might be perceived. And like, I, I, you know, I've always tried to be that way, but I've really like, you know, developed it more so in in recent years. And and a lot of that just comes from seeing you do it week out, week, week in, week out, seeing the clips you'd post from your show as well. Um, uh, the local show, because you guys have a lot of fun doing that. And also just like from a, you know, a practical perspective, just the way you prep and the way you steer conversations. Um, you're a tooth pro. I'm thankful to the show with you every week, Chris. Let me say this real quickly because you mentioned the 9 11. Because I want to give a special shout out. Because I I don't think I've ever told you this story. And at one point, I I posted something about it maybe a couple years ago. So when I was a child, I was born on October 5th. There was a kid that lived right 
couple doors down from me, who was born on October 1st. His name is Billy Harrell. Billy Harrell and I, from the time we were zero years old, our moms were best friends, and we were together every single day. From the time I was zero until the time I was eight <laughs> years old. This was my best friend in the world. When I was eight, we lived in New York. My father got transferred, and we moved to St. Louis. When we moved to St. Louis, obviously, you lose touch with your friend. We're only eight years old. The internet's not existing, yeah. whatever, right? And so we went back when I was like 12. We went back maybe one other time. But as time goes on, you lose touch. Like we just, every once in a while, every couple of years, maybe our moms would talk and then they would tell us what was going on or whatever else. And so we just lost touch. Life moves on. I went to high school and then to college. He did the same. I, I never knew. I I never knew what became of him ever. Like it just all those years passed and um everybody goes on with their life. And you know, every once in a while I'd wonder, like, I wonder whatever happened to him, you know? Our moms spoke to each other um after 9-11. And the reason they spoke was because Billy was in it. And I was like, wait, what? Now, keep in mind, we have not spoken. We're both out, just out of college, okay? And Billy was a first responder. Like, I'm talking wow. front page of New York Times. Like, it's almost a, a famous photo when you see him. And I said, oh, I said, did he die? And she's like, no, he's, he's, he's okay. You know, he's a firefighter in, in New York. He's a firefighter in New York, and he responds to me. And uh, so anyways, um, I'm like, oh, my God. So then years passed. I, I hear that, you know, obviously I know at that point he's a firefighter. I know that he was like this hero at 9-11 and whatever else. And then about four or five years ago, out of nowhere, I get a text message from Billy Harrell. <laughs> and... He starts, we, he just fires up a conversation. Hey, I got your number from our moms, whatever. He tells me, you know, I'm married. I've got these kids. I, I'm still a firefighter in New York City and whatever else. And we start talking. It, it was the craziest thing, Kevin. It's like I had not talked to him in probably 30 years. Since you were it, eight. <laughs> it was like, no, well, 12 probably. Yeah, 12, no yeah, wow. time had passed. It was like we just picked up. Like he was went he went to the White House last year was honored, you know what I mean? Like um, he went last year it was honored for this nine uh, eleven thing that was going on and he still to this day is a firefighter in New York. I mean we haven't and, wow. and the, I was gonna go up to New York and then I was gonna go you know meet up with him but of course all this coronavirus stuff so hopefully you know I get to go up and see him before this all ends. But my friend. Who was a little, you know, we were little kids together. He ends up becoming this massive, you know, truly a national hero in 9-11. And I had no idea. I didn't even know what had become of him. Nothing. It was the craziest thing ever. Truly the craziest. But shout out to Billy Harrell and everybody else that were such unbelievable heroes on that day. Because that was... Uh, Certainly a day none of us will ever, ever, ever forget. And hopefully everybody could take a step back this weekend and and remember what we, I think most importantly, remember what we all felt like at that time. 
that we're all together. We're, we're on the same team here. And somewhere along the way, that team got broken up. It got dysfunctional. But for, and it was sad that it took a tragedy to do that. But yeah, uh, take, take time out and thank those that are first responders and people in healthcare and public service, et cetera. And also just take a, take a second to remember what that was like and where you, you, you just felt like you valued every day and you certainly valued your feather, fellow man, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, in many ways we've been divided further. Um, but I do think like on an individual basis, a lot of people have developed that perspective of like not taking the day for granted for, you know, enjoying the time with your loved ones while you have it um, throughout this pandemic. Um, and I, I hope I hope the good outweighs the bad in that sense in terms of people having that perception and uh, that perspective um, for life now. Um, but I mean, we'll see, we'll see got, how things This we'll, has we'll gotten way too serious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sasha, <laughs> get us back on track. What do we got? To steal from your friend, Rusillo, what is the best piece of life advice you've ever received from Matthew? Oh, I, boy. I, I, I'd say it's very basic. Uh, I remember being in elementary school. I think it was the, the, the principal, Mr. Martin, or maybe it was the assistant principal. He, he always used to say, treat others the way you want to be treated, which is like, at the time, I didn't know it was like some popular <laughs> golden <laughs> rule piece of advice. But yeah. uh, I mean, it's so simple. Um, it's called the golden rule for a reason. And, but I understand, like, I, it just made sense to me. And I understand, like, there are exceptions. There's cultural differences in terms of how people are treated. And there are philosophical differences. Uh, but generally, I find that to be a generally good guide for life. And that's stuck with me since I was a little kid. And I, you know, I always try, I'm not perfect, but I always try to operate that way. Um, no matter what the situation is. Um, and I, I would say that, but secondly, like over the course of time, I've developed the perspective of, um, worrying about the things that are in your control and not about the things that are out of your control. Um, and that has played a significant difference in my happiness on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it is something as significant about the some of the stuff we talked about with like family health problems, Chris, about trying to make the most of things, or whether it is like sitting at a stop sign and you're trying to take a left and cars just keep on coming. Like you can allow yourself to get pissed off and annoyed and frustrated, or you can just sit there and like wait for the moment to go um, and make the most of the moment until it's there. Um, so it's worrying about the thing. It's a coach's cliche, really. Control the controllables, you know, yeah. control what you can control. But it, but up, damn! I'll tell you what—it makes your life better if you practice those habits over the course of time. This is not—I don't—I don't know if I necessarily have a best piece of life advice that someone has given me. But I—I I will tell you that for whatever reason, maybe it was just the day it happened, maybe it was where I was in my life. I—I I don't know. But I remember when I was younger, much, much younger. Um. I was at a, I was at like a, like a chapel, like a church service. And, uh, there's this old Southern preacher and he got up there and I just expected to just like kind of tune out, just be like, all right, you know, um, this guy's old and he does this whole sermon <laughs> And I can't remember all of it, but I do remember one of the things he said, and I swear to God, I think about it all the time, all the time. We had recently, where I, where, where I was at the time in West Tennessee, there's all kinds of tornadoes. There's tornadoes all the time. 
that come through. Like people have like at their houses, they have tornado cellars. My parents both grew up in houses with tornado cellars. So you would have to go underground and it will like you would, if, if one came through, you would see a car like that might be from a house seven miles away, sitting in the middle of like a, you know, like in front of a business somewhere sideways or something. I mean, like they would rip things to shreds and it wasn't uncommon. Like I remember it being scary a couple different times when I, uh, when I was there. Um, and anyways, one had just taken place and it wiped out so much of this stuff that was in, um, a place called Jackson, Tennessee. And it was not long after this guy got up and he did this sermon. And I, I remember him like I can remember it like it was yesterday. He stood up and he said, what do you have that a West Tennessee tornado cannot take away from you? And I think about that. I don't know why that was so profound to me, but the whole idea was, you know, I would always think about like whether it was like things that I collected or it was things that I wanted or I wanted Jordans or I wanted this or I wanted that. And his whole the whole thing was about how these people's houses just got wiped out. And it could happen to you tomorrow. What do you have? What do you value that that tornado cannot rip away from you? And. For whatever reason, that was so friggin' profound to me, and it made me think so much, and I think about that all the time. I really do. Like, all this stuff I get caught up in, all the stuff that I think about, all the stuff I feel like I want, like, let's just say a tornado wipes it all out tomorrow. Then what do I have? Like, what am I putting value in, you know? And... I don't remember the rest of the sermon. I don't remember the Bible verses he attached to it and everything else, but I remember that line. I remember that line, and I think about it still to this day. And so maybe, I don't know if that's necessarily life advice, but maybe just perspective, just this whole idea, because it was it was very real to me. There were a lot of people that lost their houses. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people that lost their stuff, as it were. And it's like, then what do you have? And even as I've gotten older, I think about that a lot. I do. That's powerful. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, it's simple, but sometimes that simple can be yeah. the best life advice that you get. And yeah. sometimes the best life advice can be unintentional. Well, I remember when he said it, me being mm. like, oh my. Like it hits you right away. Yeah. Like what, what do yeah. I have? What do I have? The stuff I care about is all stuff I own. Stuff I have. You know what I mean? What else I got? And damn, man, I still think about it to this day. I really do. He got me on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, me. it, 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 you saw the, uh, the Steve from Blues Clues thing yep. on Twitter the other day. Yeah, where he's yeah, like, yeah. Well, look how far we've come. That's I don't know right. when, what year that sermon was, but it's like, now you get a family. Yep. You know, you have love. Yeah, I know. Right? Like, it's the, a lot different. can't take that away. I was so selfish. I was so selfish mm. when I was, you know, when I, when I was growing up. I really was. I, I, I mean, I, mean I, I was my stuff, your stuff. You know what I mean? And my best friend who passed away when we were young, but my best friend, uh, he changed me because of that. It was my freshman year. My car went dead. 
he threw me the keys to his car. He's like, just drive mine. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> he's like, just drive mine. And I was like, well, what about the insurance? What about the, he's like, just drive my car. I was like, you don't need it. He's like, just take the car. You need my car. Take the car. And I remember thinking like, I, in a million years, I would have never done that. <laughs> ever. Ever. But it changed me profoundly. That did too. It changed me profoundly because I was, I was a my stuff, your stuff kind of guy. And maybe that's why that, that quote hit me so hard because I, I cared about my stuff, you know, and what I had. And this is supposed to get lighter. It's got heavier. Sasha, like, they had something that we can't spin into something <laughs> depressing. <laughs> um, I just have a final comment from someone from Camilo in Colombia. He just says to please tell Chris that me gusta su programa. Oh, I like the program. You retain some, Chris. Yeah. No, you I mean, some. look, I, that, that's part of the reason Senor DeLuca hated me so much. I always said, <laughs> I always said, me, me gusta el balancesto. Right. I like basketball. And I still, and the other one was, I, 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 for whatever reason, this is jog my memory. I used to say, me gusta la biblioteca. Right. <laughs> Which was, I like the library. <laughs> I just thought bibliotheca sounded funny to word. call it that. I just kept, I, I would always call the library the, bibli, the biblioteca. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that do it for this week. That's that does it. it for this we week. made yeah. it through. <laughs> All right. So as we said, we are off next week. So uh, expect Ben Simmons to get traded next week. If he like, does get traded, maybe we'll do an emergency show. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. We'll see. Depends on who he gets traded to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, but thanks as always for listening to another episode of The Mismatch. Thank you to our executive producer, Sasha Eschel. And we will talk to you a week from Tuesday. Enjoy, enjoy September. Enjoy football. And listen to Chris on The Ringer Gambling Show next Monday. See y'all.